Father, thank you for this season that we are about to enter into, this wonderful season of Advent. As we consider over these next two weeks, what is this season all about? How do we celebrate it? What does it mean for our faith? Help us to learn, to be inspired, and to really enter this season to get all we can from celebrating Advent. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. So as I mentioned earlier, um, we just came back from our trip to Disneyland, and we, we met seven years ago. And when you went seven years ago, they had the fast passes. And they're like pieces of paper, and there were machines scattered throughout the park. And you could go find a machine, scan your paper, and that would give you a time. And then you could go faster onto rides. And when there's 80,000 people in Disneyland, going faster on the rides is a really good thing. Well, this now, what they have is it's an app. And you get to pull up every ride and just select a time. It is so quick and so easy, and what it meant is we got to ride every major ride multiple times. The Incredicoaster, which used to be California Scream, and it's the biggest ride, biggest roller coaster there, we rode four times because you just kept getting these fast passes and going right on. It was awesome. But the very last time, it was our very last ride, so late Friday night, we got on the Incredicoaster and we got the front row. First time. It was very cool to like end our whole trip by getting the front row seat. And I was with one of my boys, and we were in the literal front, and then my daughter and the other brother was here. And there's nothing blocking the air when you're in the front. <laughs> and so this one, it starts, this is not like you go up a hill and go down. This starts from a stopping point, and it just jets you out. And the wind hits you so hard in the face that if you smile, your cheeks start vibrating. <laughs> it's like a dog looking out a window when the car is moving. All the way through, it's like with your, with your mouth as you're going through. But one of the most interesting things to me on this last ride, being in the very front, I saw so many things on this ride that I had not seen the other three times. Even though I'd gone through it already, I just, I saw like figures. And so it's all set up in the theme of the Incredibles. And they've got all of these things from the Incredibles throughout the ride that I did not see. And I got off and I told my daughter, I'm like, did you see these things? She's like, yeah, I saw things I didn't see too. Being in the front changed what you saw. Even though it was nighttime, we were exhausted and we'd already done the ride a bunch of times. My goal for this week and next week, is to give you a front row seat to Advent. So many of you have celebrated Advent numerous times, decades worth of Advents. My hope is to give a little of its meaning and history and theology and how we do it, why we do it, so that when we enter into the season you might have an even greater appreciation for what Advent is. So this week, 
I want to talk about its meaning, its history, and some of the underlying theology of why we celebrate this. Next week, I want to tie it into what is our overall church calendar and the rhythm of our faith, and so how does this fit And what are we going to do? Like, what does our liturgy look like? What are some of the practices that we do? What are the colors to understand that part? So this week, we're kind of setting foundation. What is it? What's its history? What's some of its theology? And next week, it is how does it fit into our faith practice? And then specifically, what are things we are going to do as a church? Front row seats to the Incredicoaster Advent. That's what we're doing, right? It probably won't be nearly as exciting as the roller coaster we were on, but we'll see. All right. That is not at all what I want. Hmm. That is what I want. All right. I had a few little notes jotted down for myself because there's some dates and things that I want to be able to get. All right, Advent. For a moment... I would like you to just think to yourself, what do you know about the season of Advent? Do you know what the word means? Do you know what it celebrates? Maybe if you think about some of the things that you've done in church, do you know why some of those practices? So the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or coming. This is the overall celebration of the coming of Christ. And our earliest um, look at it, the earliest record that we have of it being what seems to be a big deal comes from the 4th century. Most scholars don't think it started in the 4th century because it's too well-developed and it's too central to who we are as Christians. But that's when we start getting references to it. And interestingly enough, the references are, it is a preparation for epiphany. What's epiphany? You don't have to answer. I'll, I'll give you the answer. But just think about it. From our, that's one of our seasons. So we're going to go Advent, Christmas, epiphany. And epiphany is the celebration of when the wise men come in and they recognize who Jesus is. And that season is a recognition of the revelation. Who is the Christ? And so for them, initially, at least a big part of what Advent was is a preparation for that season, the coming of Christ, the revelation of Christ. There was also a heresy going around that was a Gnostic heresy that said the flesh was bad and Jesus never really came in the flesh. Well, Advent is a great season to celebrate. No, he really did. He incarnated. He became a human being. In the 6th century, with Gregory the Great, we start getting more of an emphasis on the first coming and the second coming together. And finally, and you might find this interesting. My wife is going to definitely find this interesting because she wrote a devotional on the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And apparently on our history, that song written 1,200 years ago is one of the primary drivers for the development of Advent. With that song, they began to sing 
partial verses every day leading up to Christmas until they would sing the whole thing. But that song helped build the Advent season in the 8th and ninth centuries. And by the time you get to the 10th century, it's a full-blown celebration of the church. And today, you find it with Catholics, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists, and non-denominational churches. <laughs> you will drive around the Quad Cities during Advent, and you are likely to see signs on non-denominational churches talking about Advent. Now, do they do everything we're going to do? Probably not. But it's such an important thing. So that's its development and its kind of initial where it came from. Um, now let's talk its meaning. And this is where I want to spend most of my time. The coming of Christ. If I gave you, or if I had to give you, what I believe is the central theme in all of Scripture. This is what I would tell you it is. God wants to be with his people. That creation was done out of love, and it was done because God wanted to be with his people. And let me walk you through it a little bit, right? Genesis 1 to 3. God creates people. He makes them in his own image. He gives them a place. And then in Genesis 3, in the first interaction that we get past that, here's what we find. God is walking through the garden. Right, just consider that. It's not that Adam and Eve had to go find an altar and pray. It wasn't that they went to a particular temple or anything like that. It's that God was walking through the garden. It was relational. God wanted to be with his people. Now, you know the story. Adam and Eve did what? They sinned. They ate the fruit. They rebelled. They did exactly the one thing that God said not to do. And when that happened, it transformed everything. Sin came into the world. How many of you have seen... Um, I just forgot the movie. No, not How to Train Your Dragon, but that's a good one. Um, Neo. The Matrix. <laughs> God. Um, how many of you have seen The Matrix? Raise your hand. I want to know how many are going to get this. Okay, about two-thirds. All right. So, in the matrix, you are plugged into a computer. And one person in there gets out, and then they're able to plug this thing into his head and basically download whatever he needs. He downloads karate. He downloads how to fly in a helicopter. But they stick it in, and all this knowledge just floods in. That is something about what happens when Adam and Eve eat from the tree. Except it's like a little kid who suddenly gets all of this knowledge and doesn't know what to do with it. And here's the visual, okay? Before that moment, they are naked, and they have no shame. After they eat, they have to cover themselves 
They are hiding from God. They are blaming one another. Sin comes in and wrecks everything. And it's like they are overwhelmed with it. They don't know what to do. But what ends up happening is God says, I don't want you like this for eternity. I'm going to redeem you. And then I will give you everything I wanted to give you. So he kicks them out of the garden, which we see as a punishment. But the kicking out itself, I don't think it's a punishment. There are consequences for the rebellion. But in this case, he kicks them out and then he guards the tree of life. Why? He doesn't want them to live for eternity in that condition. And let me just ask you, any of you want to live like you are right now for eternity? All of the breaking down of your body, all of the insecurities, all of the fear, everything you go through, the shame, the guilt, the, everything that's a part of our lives, the possibility that I might have shingles. Um, do you want to have that all your life? God doesn't want you to have that. Why? Because he is relational and loves us. So he wants to redeem us. So that's the beginning. And then here's what happens. I'm going to walk you briefly through a couple of accounts. You ready? Then he comes to his people. And he comes in a bush. Pre presents himself to Moses. I want to redeem them and bring them to me. Then he comes on a mountain. Then he comes into the tabernacle. Well, into the ark. Let's start with the ark, actually, because they have to carry the ark around, and that is God's presence with his people. Then that goes into the tabernacle. God is with his people. And then ultimately, they build a temple. Guess where God goes? Into the temple to dwell with his people. And that is the language that he will dwell with his people, that his name will be there forever. Because it has always been God's desire to be with his people. But what do his people keep doing? Sinning. His people keep rebelling over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually what happens is God says, I'm leaving the temple now. And in Ezekiel, you see his presence leave. And then for 400 years, well, it's a little longer than that, but at least for 400 years from Malachi, what are the people looking for? God to come back. It's their prayer. When we get into the story of Zechariah during Advent, they are all praying while, Advent, while Zechariah is in the temple. Do you know what they're praying for? God to come back. That is what they pray over and over and over again. What is Jesus called? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Because that is the return of God to his people in Jesus. When Jesus leaves, he says to his disciples, it is good that I go away. Why? So I can send the helper who will what? Be with you forever. So now it won't be just that God is dwelling here, but God will dwell where? In his people, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look what happens when you get to the very end. 
This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, hear these words. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. That's the end. All throughout the scriptures, God wants to be with his people. He wants to dwell with them. Not because he has to, but because he loves his people. I want you to hear this. God wants to be with you. That is the message of the scriptures. He wants to be with you. So much so that he would do whatever it took to make that possible. Despite the fact that we are the ones who rebel. He wants to be with us. Our first morning as we were walking to Disneyland. Maybe it was our second morning. I don't remember. It was our first or our second morning. Um, our hotel was almost a mile away and we had to walk every morning. And as we're walking along the road, you can hear in the distance somebody is somewhat shouting, but they also have a giant megaphone, so they didn't really have to shout, but they're still kind of shouting anyway. And they are shouting, God is coming in judgment, you sinners. You need to repent. God is going to punish every one of you. Turn to him now before he punishes you. And it's going on and on and on. And there is nothing in the message but judgment. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, and you probably won't have to imagine very hard, what the response of all of the people going to Disneyland was. Let me tell you, they stopped in front of the man and fell to their knees and they begged for forgiveness of God. No, they did not. They went as far around that guy as they possibly could. There was some part of me that I wanted to walk up to him and I wanted to ask him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Do you see anyone at all listening to you? Let me ask it a different way. How did sinners respond to Jesus? Because they're not responding to you like that. Is it possible that your message of judgment and nothing else is not really the heart of God? That God wanted to be with his people so much that he gave his only son because he loved the world. That all the way through from the Old Testament to the New, 
God loved his people so much, he loved the world so much that he wanted to be with them. There was a different guy on our fourth day, and I know he was different because, yes, he did bring up repentance, but he also brought up the grace of God and the love of God. And if you do not have that in your message, you do not know the God you are preaching. We serve a God of love. And Advent is the celebration of God wanting to be with his people in both the first coming 2,000 years ago and the second coming. It's a celebration of the love that drives him to want to be with his people. My one question for you. Do you know that God wants to be with you? Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever your struggles are, whatever the rebellion that you have, however much you may judge yourself, God wants to be with you. That is the message of Advent. It's not just that he came. It's the why he came. It's not only that he incarnated and that he wants to come back. Do you know why he's coming back? Because he loves us and wants to be with us and he wants to redeem creation and have a home for us for eternity. Yes, there will be judgment. Part of the passage we're reading. Next week we'll read the second half of it. But the judgment is not what God wants. He wants to redeem. He wants people to come to him. And I want us to think about throughout the season how much God wants to be with us because of his love. That is Advent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a deeper appreciation, both in our heads and in our hearts, of just how much you love and desire to dwell with your people. And as we enter this season in particular, let that just sit with us. Let it change who we are, and, and how we look at the world because we know that our Creator wants to be with us. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.